BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. All right, guys, it was a busy, busy week on the IPO front. And uh, to help us understand all of it, normally we have Matt Hammond on the show Mondays at 9 o'clock. But obviously, Monday was a holiday. No no shows. Uh, So Matt Hammond is going to join us today. And uh, man, what a crazy week it was for IPOs, right? We had legal Zoom, we had Krispy Kreme, uh, just a lot to get to. Uh, the whole DD thing is crazy, right? So let's bring on Matt Hammond now from IPO Warriors. Matt, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Spencer? Doing well, doing well. Hope you enjoy the nice long weekend. There's so much to talk about today, man. I don't even know where to start. Um, I'd like to touch base with something quickly that you discussed earlier today, which was kind of getting out of some of your Chinese positions. Yeah. Um, and the reason I feel a little bit uniquely uh, positioned to talk about this is because I lived in China for about 11 years. So okay. I can tell you that if you're trying to approach anything that you understand about the Chinese government from your perspective as an American with the American relation to government, you're, 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 you're so far off that you don't even know that you're playing a completely different game. Uh, the Chinese government has total, ultimate, complete control over everything. And they saw that these technological elite, starting with Jack Ma, were getting out of hand and they are slapping them down. And if you think that China cares at all about our markets or our regulations or our security system, you're also playing, you're, you're, you're absolutely, you think you're playing golf by the rules and they are sneaking golf balls out of your bag, putting them in the hole when you're not looking, discounting their strokes. You're not playing the same game. I also got out out of Baba last week. I got out of Tencent today. These are positions I bought in, you know, three, four years ago. Yeah. I I have just as much belief that China is sending out a very clear signal that they want their companies listing on their exchanges and they're going to do what they can to punish companies that are listing in America. I've heard okay. from people who are in finance in China that are saying, look, you guys, can, it's nothing about regulation. DD's been around for 10 years. I used it all the time when I lived there. Yeah. They don't care. This isn't about security. This isn't about anything. They wanted DD to list in China, and they are pissed that DD listed in America. And this is revenge. Okay. Yeah. And I, I was thinking back, you know, it's, you always want to remember why you bought something. I was thinking back to why I bought KWeb in the first place, and it was very, very simple, right? China is one of the fastest growing economies in the world, uh, largest population, and you want to pick the cream of the crop. And KWeb had all the biggest players, the, the cream of the crop, right? Baidu, JD, Baba, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why wouldn't I want exposure to an internet play in uh, a country where the internet is is arguably has more dominant over culture than than in, in the U.S., but then you get this this thing happening where, to your point, Matt, it's like the government can do what they want when they want, and um, I just don't want any part of it. So, uh, and it, it's, it's a little a little bit sad for me because it was like a you know you know you shouldn't grow attached to your positions, but this is a longer term holding of mine, and 
you know, I was excited about it for a while. And, you know, now, now I'm not as excited anymore. So, you know, I felt exactly the same way about 10 cents. And I had been in that from the first time I bought, you know, bananas from a street vendor, you know, with WeChat, uh, which is 10 cents big app. And it was just like, Oh, aha. And I bought it and it felt just felt like compared to Facebook and Google, but it should have gone way, way higher. But people in America don't, you know, think it's a video game company. Um, Reality is there's too much downside potential uh, with China. I think that this is just the start of a bunch of crackdowns, or maybe it's not, but I'm not going to get involved in anything Chinese right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, I, I'd rather have my money right, elsewhere. Well, I, I'm glad to see that you agree with me because, I'm, you know, after that last conversation, I was doubting myself, but I feel a little bit better about that now. It's just one last thing I got to worry about. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about IPOs, Matt. Sure. Uh, we, we, uh, yeah, I don't know historically how busy of a time you know July is on the IPO slate. I would imagine it's historically not that busy. But last week was a very busy week for IPOs. And uh, let's recap what, what happened last week, and then uh, we can talk about it. Sure. There's so many that um, I'm going to start with the clear winners. And if people want to bring up some of the other ones, we can kind of review what happened. Uh, some of it was appeared to be people wanting to get their IPOs onto the calendar before the end of the quarter or before yeah. the holiday. Okay. That was the, I mean, just the past two weeks have been the busiest two weeks I've ever had in IPO land. And I made it killing last week on some of these. Tell us all and that. It was one of the best, best weeks I've had. Um, and they're not necessarily the ones that you would expect, uh, but we also should pat our backs for uh, missing some of the bad ones. Um, but there was a lot to learn from the week. Uh, Ding Dong Mai Tai, speaking of uh, Chinese IPOs, this one pulled a surprising reverso. Sometry, Clear Secure, Krispy Kreme, Pop Culture, and the Glimpse Group. The low float IPO was just on. Let me see Pop Culture. This is one of those stealth IPOs. It wasn't on the calendar on Monday. I had mentioned this a month or two ago, and I sent out an alert to the news uh, to the newsletter group. You can sign up at ipowarriors.com. I sent out an alert the day before and said, hey, guys, watch out for this one. It's Network One Solutions or Network One Financial. I put a pretty big position on this, made a good chunk of money. Um, we'll get to that one in a second. Uh, Ding Dong Mai Tsai. This was a uh, like grocery delivery. Uh, did really badly on day one, probably in response to MF uh, doing really badly. Miss Fresh the week before. Dropped down to 2270. And then the low float kicked on day two, and it just ripped from 23 up to 45. Almost no way to see this coming. What this does kind of reinforces my belief that if, once I'm in an IPO play, I don't want to take losses on day one because you never w- know what's going to happen in this day two, you know, overnight media, media cycle. And, you know, there's no reason to take a loss when there's a good chance that you're going to get a win, uh, you know, or there's a reasonable chance that you'll get it out on day two. Wait, wait, hold on. So, wait, what would have happened in that scenario um, if, if on day two, you know, this stock opened at like, you know, 23, 22 and just went lower from there? At some point, you do have to cut bait. Um, this one I didn't play to begin with. So, uh, hard to tell oh, what I would do. Okay. Right, um, yeah. But I'll give you an example here Sentinel. Um, I bought yeah. Sentinel Security and it finally went in the green today. Um, and that was more like a three day run. But I had more you know, conviction in that play. And this is where you don't really want to just, I, I don't just throw my hat in the ring on every IPO and say, oh, let's see what it does. I'm trying to make a case for why I think a stock will go up. And if it doesn't go up, uh, that, that is going to affect my exit strategy. I ended up holding MF. Uh, longer than day one, day two, and getting out for, you know, a loss. Um, But I waited for it to come up just a little bit and then exited and rolled it right into one of these trades this week that made a lot of money. So my point is a lot of people will, because they're used to day trading and they set their stop loss, end up getting stopped out of losses almost, you know, every time when there's later a win just right around the corner, thinking that it's going to trade like a stock that's been trading for months or years Whereas these IPOs, they don't really know what the price is. And there's very good chance that if you had a reason to believe it was a good play at the beginning, that it's going to come back. Um, and we'll get to, I do want to review DD because that was one that we very clearly said, don't get in this on the debut. And that one you'd just be stuck in right now. Uh, it's only gotten worse. Um, but I like these 
you know, more often than not, we get a chance to get out uh, in, you know, for a profit, even when we see dips on day one. And it's hard, especially if it's one of your first IPO plays, you know, and there are certainly examples. Coinbase never turned around, although that was a direct listing. Um, more often than not, we do see uh, the opportunity to take a win if you stay in it for a little while. Uh, usually within the first two or three days, we'll at least see some opportunity to come out at a better position than just, you know, down here at 2270 or 23 saying, oh man, I thought this was going to be a good one. I had such a, you know, just 3 million shares or whatever. How could it, you know, do that badly? Well, day two, people, other people woke up and said, hey, this does have a float. This is actually a, you know, an interesting company. And this was before the DD uh, disaster. And you know, it just ripped into halts until you would have been kicking yourself if you sold out on a stop loss down here, down here, and then saw this opportunity later on. Another big win opportunity from last week was Zometry. This was getting a bit of buzz in Twitter. It also had a pretty low float. I think it was 6 million shares. It opened up at 66.55, made a steady climb to 97.57. Um, this is one where once it debuts at almost 100% of the IPO price and then runs up another 50% from there, I wouldn't be holding it into day two. You've already, I'm not saying hold it into day two when you've taken profits all the time, but you know, when you're on a, in any kind of play like this, taking profits with the raising stop loss at any point you know, along the way is, uh, is a winning trade. This one su surprised me a little bit, but I did have it on a sort of <clears throat> chatted out to my Reddit thread uh, where we're live trading this. I said, uh, too many other plays for today, but this one, I have a suspicion this one turns, you know, turns out to be a good one. And it was the brand recognition, a relatively low float, 10 million sh uh, shares. And it was getting a lot of buzz on Twitter. People have seen this at the airports. People were calling it a reopening trade. Uh, it opened up at 38.866. I didn't have enough conviction to play this in the first place, but if I had, I certainly would have been taking profits pretty early. If you really loved this company and you had a high conviction, you know, give it that overnight media cycle. There's uh, always going to be lots of articles written about an IPO saying, you know, this one... Uh, did 50%, you know, because they count the IPO price, not the debut price. You know, the articles uh, that's, will say, a great, that's a great point, Matt. Every article I read, I read about IPOs is uh, in blank IPO pops on, on first date. Well, yeah, they always pop from the IPO. Well, not always. 99% of the IPOs will pop from the IPO price, but trade lower from the opening price, right? So... That's a Especially great the brand name. That's like a great, great point you mentioned. We always talk on pre-market about the two-day move, right? There's there's the mm -hmm. first day, and then there's the second day when everybody read about it on the first day, right? Uh, exactly. Or read about, it, read about it overnight. So what you're saying there is the exact same principle. It's the two-day move. Um, never underestimate what an overnight media cycle can do. And that's where, you know, you'll see the debut price above the IPO price sometimes, and it drops below the debut price, which if you're just a retail trader buying in off the debut who didn't get the IPO price, you know, you're feeling like, wait, I'm down like two or three dollars per share. And then the articles come out and they're like, you know, XXX stock jumps 30 percent on IPO. And you feel a little bit like that's misleading. But people who didn't you know, who weren't aware of it overnight go, oh, that company, they're going to be strong. And that's, again, why I don't like to take losses on day one. If I have to take a day lo a loss on day two or later, okay. But so many times you see something just run on day two, like this one did, because my guess is a lot of people read that article, uh, you know, the buyers or the immediate sellers had already, you know, taken their profits and gone. There weren't many left of them. And, you know, now you've got a, a nice run. It's come back down since then, but, uh, you know, you had a nice nice trade here if you had a high conviction in Clear Secure. Okay, one of the big names last week was Krispy Kreme. Um, there was everything you'd ask for in terms of a sort of easy IPO to play, in my opinion. Even a debut below the IPO price wouldn't, you know, phase me in this in the sense that, there was high brand recognition. If you haven't heard of Krispy Kreme, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, had a lot of hype. People loved the uh, the ticker symbol. 
The float was 26 million shares. I guess they upped it a little bit, but it was still under 30 million shares. Uh, opened up at 1630. If it opens up around there, I'm, I'm thinking 20, you know, get out right before 20. You don't really know once it starts doing this into 20, if it's just going to drop off that. Um, but it made a pretty, I mean, you just, you couldn't have taken a loss if you bought this on the debut. Uh, just made this super easy. Get in, take your profits, you know, go get some donuts and uh, enjoy your weekend. This was a, a Friday. Uh, this was a surprising one for me. I kind of, and maybe I was wrong for thinking this, but I, it seemed like it had like first day drop written all over it. Like, cause it had all this hype for what? For a donut store? Like, well, they own insomnia cookie cookies, which is incredibly profitable. Uh, they have posted some pretty large growth numbers and they just, they, they are raising money to refinance debt on money that they had invested into restructuring their entire business more than anything. It was just, I love donuts. I want the nut, you know, and I think a lot of people just decided that that was going to be a fun one to buy and to own. And uh, when, especially when we saw the initial price range was 21 to $24, that was the, you know, the indication price uh, in the prospectus before, and they decided to reduce the price to 17 and in instead increase the share count a little bit, uh, not enough to offset. I think the initial IPO, valuation estimates were 650 million. They reduced it down to about 500 million. It was almost like they were gift wrapping it for retail investors not to experience a dip on the buy. And when you see all those factors come into play, plus the just the brand recognition, it makes this one stand out as one that, hey, uh, everyone in their, you know, when, when we've seen high brand recognition without a ridiculous float, uh, these, these have done well. So, uh, I actually got an finally got an E-Trade allocation on this one, which is of course at seventeen dollars. But um, you know, I'll be holding this until for the thirty days just to improve my IPO score, I guess, so that maybe in the future they'll give me better <laughs> stocks. <laughs> they also gave me DD, so go figure. Gladly, gladly they didn't give me full allocation on that one. <laughs> my first two, my first two were DD and DNUT. Okay. Oh boy. Um, so now we can talk a little bit about the stealth IPOs and we've spent some yeah. time talking about these before. Uh, these are really fun. They're super low float. They generally get no publication. They're even not listed on most of the IPO calendars kind of to do a little digging. This one was on my radar for a while. We talked about this one along with one that still hasn't gone live yet. That's G sun. We talked about this about a month ago when I think EJH debuted and these have kind of a you know a, a fingerprint i mean these do have uh, some sort of hints that allow us to key in on them before they they go live one is often they are kind of random chinese companies pop culture does hip-hop events you know in china uh, the other is their underwriters tend to be Bosted Securities and Network One Financial and Sutter Financial. These companies seem to be doing something a little tricky with the um, with the IPOs. A little bit of a you know, rug pull if you hold these too long. But the trick is you're really looking for these initial halts. I wanted to show the full you know opportunity here, which you're insane if you somehow held your whole position this whole time. Um, but these initial halts right here, we got three or four halts straight up. And if you're in at 1226 and this topped here at 33, you know, you can look at the level two data. You can see whether there's orders or not uh, in place above the, the halt price. And you're trying to time, you know, after maybe the after this one, I think we got to hold through about the third halt. And then we got out like 24, 25. Some people were able to get out at 30. But that's a great play. I mean, to get in at 1226 on a play that you're pretty confident in and you can buy, you know, a thousand shares or a hundred shares, whatever you're kind of, I was able to sort of max out what I was playing this on because I was so confident that this was going to do this initial run up. And then, you know, if you want to, you can hold 20%, 30% into a day two run, uh, but you're really going to be better off trying to play that if you have a Webull account because these peaks are early pre-market. These are, you know, 6 p.m. Uh, again, I think this one was 5, 5 p or sorry, 6 a.m., 5 a.m. 
and E-Trade and Robinhood, I mean, you're just not going to be able to place orders to get out on those peaks. But with Webull, uh, you know, not high volume, but you can you can take extra profits on these. So, so and, how do you, how do you know when these stealth IPOs? Like you said, this one had been on your radar for a month. You you yeah. just have you just have to notice when they open. Is that really what it comes down to? No. So this one, I kind of got wind of it through uh, some of the resources where I'm looking at the filings, who's filing, and and then I'm quickly if they're low float and uh, you know Chinese they I then go read their either F1 or their S1 and figure out who the underwriters are. And if it's one of those underwriters that kind of screams, hey, keep an eye out for this one, uh, I'll put, you know, I'll create Google alerts for it. I'll set up some other sort of search filters for it and just check, you know, I'm checking almost every day what's going on in the IPO world. And then when I see this one go onto the schedule, you know, onto some of the calendars, uh, then I send out a newsletter to everybody the day before or the morning of, and basically say, Hey guys, this one that I've been, you know, talking about, we talked about this on the show about a month and a half ago, a month or so, I forget exactly yeah. when it was yeah. and, uh, gave it out. And then I'm, you know, monitor specifically monitoring this, uh, ticker, this underwriter, this, you know, name of this company. And just trying to make sure that I don't miss it because these are exciting, especially when I see something that doesn't date. We had one of them debut, I think it was, that debuted at like 45. I mean, that's not when you really want to get into. But if it debuts at uh, sort of in the 10 to as high as, say, $16 range, that shows that there's there are a lot of people wanting to buy this. And if it's one of those underwriters that I mentioned, I've taken one or two losses, uh, but you know, from $10 down to $8 or something. Okay. You can lose a couple grand if you're playing for a thousand shares, but look what you can make, you know, on the ones that do run. So I'm so far up that I could you know, get completely wiped out on a few of these before I'd be looking at any kind of, of real downside. Okay. And there is sort of, there, there is an entire contingent on Twitter that is kind of, and now I guess I'm sort of a part of that, who's calling these out, is getting people excited about them. And then they show up after the first halt, there's an entire contingent of traders who just try to grab the first, you know, trading halt. They get alerts when the, the halt comes in. They have about 10 minutes. These are usually 10 minute halts, 10 minutes to research and figure out, hey, this is a brand new IPO, some random Chinese company, and they all jump in and it creates that momentum that carries this up into several halts and there is you know there is sort of a difference and the reason i don't want to hold the whole position into day two is because when they don't make this run uh it can pretty quickly uh you know fade out into either giving up all your gains which really sucks when you see like a 10 grand profit uh dissipate into like a couple hundred dollars that you're selling just to avoid taking a loss um, so, you know, get paid. If you want to let part of your position ride, great. Um, but otherwise, you know, take, take, get paid on these, out of these halts. You're not going to reach the very top with your whole position. Take out 30% after the first or second halt, take another 30% after the next halt, you know, take a, the rest out as soon as you see the reverse or leave, you know, a small position to ride. But these are a great way to take, um, you know, pretty significant profits. And we had another one the very next day um, that wasn't quite uh, a stealth IPO and it didn't give the two day run, but it did have an ultra low float. And there was a lot of buzz about it since they do virtual reality and augmented reality. Yeah. You know, people were pretty interested in it. Uh, there was a lot of buzz on Twitter. It opened at 1175. It ran up to about uh, 17 team here realistically you're getting in or out at uh, one of these halts which was 15 and then you could hold party i held 20 percent of my position and sold up here at like 17 at the end of day run and uh, you had a chance to take some more money if again early early pre-market this was 5 30 or something for 4 30 oh no matt did we lose you Kind of fading off especially yeah. if it's not a chinese one or it's not a, a bostead or a network uh, one financial 
then it's just a low float play. It's not, they're not doing anything really to manipulate the price further. And this is all just legitimate trading. Whereas this is something else. So uh, the last one I did want to talk about was DD because I very specifically oh, said yeah, this many, many, many times. Do not touch this one. Wait, wait on me. Let's go. And the reason, the reason was this 317 million shares. And this was up from something like 290, uh, 290 million shares. They increased it to 317 million shares. And you just got to think to yourself, like, how, how is there going to be that? How many, how many people really want to buy this stock on day one to boost that up? I mean, the other IPOs that we, we, we just looked at two examples that were 3 million shares and 1.75 million shares. Uh, D-Nut. Uh, Krispy Kreme was just under 30 million shares. You know, Uber, I think, was 100 million shares or something like that. So 317 million shares. I don't remember ever seeing an IPO with this many shares. And you say, oh, it doesn't matter. It matters about evaluation. Yeah, but it also mentally people, you know, only going to buy so many shares. And 317 million shares is a ton of shares. And it just, I mean, it just dropped and didn't give you any. I mean, this was no quarter just boom down. And when it's almost anything over about 40, 50 million shares, I'm starting to ask myself, is there really enough demand for this? Is there really a strong enough case to be made for you know, enough retail investors to want to pile in and buy enough shares to push this up? Because the institutions aren't going to buy in. They're either already in uh, or very rarely are going to buy in on day one. They want to, they're, they're going to wait things out, let things level out or they already bought in at the IPO price. So DD was uh, just don't touch it. The IPO was, uh, oh, I have the wrong ticker up there. Why didn't I do that? Uh, the IPO was when? It was on the 30th. So when is the lock? The, the next fun game is when is the lockup expiration? Right? Yeah, that's usually 180 days. Or 180, right. That's usually 180 days. There are times when it's not, but I mean, you can just see DD was right. not a, he so, did start to kind of come back a little bit until that news came out. That was just brutal. So six months um, from the, at the end of the end of the year, right? Basically, uh, Basically is, yeah. is, is, is when the lockup or expiration, if it's a normal one, will hit. Then it becomes a fun game of of uh, what do the people who are locked up do? But this was. Uh, the chat's talking about Kramer, who is uh, probably not having his best day today um, after saying that. And it goes back to your point, Matt. You know, Kramer said he, he didn't think DD had much regulatory risk. Well, how can anybody know that, right? <laughs> um, there's, there's I, no... I tweeted at Kramer on, yeah, he didn't pay attention to my. Yeah, I mean, it's, how are they going to sell 317 million shares? That's what I asked. It's, it's a. To, it's a great point you bring up about the float. We talk about this all the time, right? A low float um, is, you know, easier to push higher or lower, um, but it means there doesn't have to be as much demand. A large float, what, what is it, 300 million shares? What was the number? 317 million yeah. shares. There's got to be a lot of demand to push those shares higher, and now you've got now you've got the other stuff going on, and then that sort of is like a whole other thing. So, I don't know. There's is there any reason to feel good about this one going forward, Matt, or, or not really? Uh, if you really want to buy the bottom, it was, you know, hopefully today. But, uh, again, there's better plays out there with less risk. Uh, DD is not going away. Yeah. Um, I live. I used it multiple times per day when I lived in China, and that was about four or five years ago. Uh, it is ubiquitous. It's on WeChat. Y- you know, they... Yeah, they removed it from the app stores and they canceled new account signups, but everybody already has it. It's almost like if Facebook, you know, for a few days was like, uh, we're going to cancel new signups. It's like, well, who cares? Everybody already has a Facebook account. Right. And, you know, so they're not blocking the app from being used. It would cause <laughs> huge pain in people's lives if they did that. And I just don't know what China is going to do next. And I don't see either America or China in the short term, you know, hugging and making up right away. We are fighting over uh, kind of the power of the world right now. And Chinese do not, I mean, I don't, as a culture, they are not like straightforward and honest 
in my experience in doing business in China, and a lot of people have this experience, is the rules and the laws that we are accustomed to operating under do not apply. People are cutthroat. People are brutal. Uh, and the business, you know, the business environment in China and the government, the way the government treats people and businesses is, look, we are in charge. We will do it how we want to. And whereas in 2002, when I first went to China, people were very, you know, the general attitude was, oh, you know, you're from America. Wow. Uh, we want to be, you know, America's like little brother and like support America and work with America. Like around 2008, they got the Olympics and they're like, no, we're, we're like a serious country. And yeah. like, we're not going to bow to America anymore. We are stronger than America. We have more people. We work harder. We're willing to work for less. Like we... <laughs> And, and, and they've just been eating our lunch for years. I mean, while we said, oh, yeah, you know, Chinese companies can buy Chinese can buy property in America. Chinese companies can list their companies here. Chinese can like do you know, use our stuff. They've been saying, look, Facebook, you can't work in China. Google, you can't work in China. Banking. Sorry. Get out. Like they are not we are not playing on a level playing field with them. And we don't seem to be waking up to it uh, until maybe just very recently. And, you know, they, like I said, they've been eating our lunch for two decades and we are only now starting to actually realize that um, they are not uh, playing by the rules that we kind of assume that everybody's playing by. And at the end of the day, you know, who's going to probably pay the price for this is a lot of like, you know, retail investors who who uh, people like me, who, for example, who, you know, had some exposure and now I don't. Right. Um, but, you know, people who buy into the, the the hype around you know these huge companies in China and you know when they get the crack the smackdown the regulatory smackdown it's like well you know what's the point of owning this now but um I like to own stocks where I'm mostly confident that there are not a whole lot of downside you know risks yeah, and yeah. I can't say that about anything in China right now yep all right that was a lot about last week. Yeah. What, what about this week, though? What about ironically, <laughs> the two IPOs uh, that were you know scheduled for this week are Chinese. Um, one time. of them was one one of them was rescheduled from last week. That was a Tour Lifestyle Holdings it was supposed to be today, and it looks like they have pulled their IPO. It's not showing up on any. You know, let me just check again real quick. But yeah, no uh, indication. Doesn't look like it's going live today. I couldn't. I mean, I started writing up. Or I have my newsletter. It's ready to go out. I review you know, these trades a little bit further. Again, sign up. IPOWarriors.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Um, I wrote up my piece on ATT, or rather, uh, ATAT copied it from last week and added that I would be very shocked if they uh, actually debuted today, given what's going on in the Chinese regulatory space around uh, not just DD, they also are cracking down on YYM, uh, BZ. These are all recent Chinese IPOs. And it just seems suicidal to uh, for a Chinese company to go live, especially today. And that to me was going to be a little, how ATAT performed today was for me going to be a little bit of a barometer for LDOC, which is, we'll get to in a second, but okay, ATAT got pulled. Um, let's come back to this one. LinkDoc is set for this Friday. It's a AI driven healthcare technology, which means they must have tons of data on healthcare patients, which is exactly what China is cracking down on with DD and YYM. Um, there's a Chinese company with heavy healthcare data analysis. They do a range of things, including uh, kind of patient response to medicine, uh, doctor to patient mat matching and pairing, uh, molecule analysis they do they sound pretty cool and three weeks ago to said oh this looks fun 10 million you know 10.8 million shares strong rev revenue growth um but you know if the sentiment around chinese stocks is highly negative by the end of the week i don't see this one going live and if it does and we haven't seen atat you know go live i'm not sure this that i want to be in on the you know new style of battleship when they first put it in the water. Yeah. Uh, I, I might just say, look, maybe this one sounded good, but now it kind of looks too dangerous. So 
Um, the other IPO on the slate for this week is Moving Image Technologies, MITQ. They basically resell, um, or they're like a reseller for digital cinema equipment. Looks like what? mostly for- what? Oh, oh, they're like a Dolby play, right? Uh, kind of, yeah. They okay. sell for Barco and NEC, like digital projectors. And from checking out their website and the press releases, these are pretty small, almost like home theaters or okay. sort of like company screening rooms, that kind of thing. They also have a very extensive selection of caddies, which are those little cup holders that go between uh, the seats, you know, either at the movie theater, at stadiums. Um, and of course, none of this sounds particularly interesting, even if you can somehow tie it to an AMC play or something. What is interesting is that the float is just 2.7 million shares, which has been downsized from 3.5 million shares. And what's more interesting is that it's a Boasted Securities uh, IPO. And these are the, you know, this is one of those three uh, underwriters whose whose IPOs somehow seem to, um, you know, soar. And the more I research and try to understand what they're doing and I look at the, the volumes of what's being traded. I mean, if we go back to uh, CPOP, for example, which was last week's big one, and you just look at the volumes in the first uh, minutes of trading, we can see that something funky is going on here. Uh, and when I, when I read about different uh, rug pull strategies and ladder strategies, it's, they seem to align with what we're seeing here. And that is simply where an underwriter or a shareholder, doesn't have to be the underwriter, could be the company itself, is holding on to a huge, I mean, here we have only 100,000 shares, uh, 140, 175, 150, uh, maybe big compared to the relative float, but uh, pretty small numbers for triggering uh, you know, for triggering 10% halts on each one of these, you yeah, see halt, 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 halt. Um, and the hypothesis or what seems to be happening, in my opinion, is they are withholding shares and just in either themselves making the trades to, uh, to pop these into halts or just releasing so few shares that there are no, there's no one to sell these. So if all you have is uh, people buying a very small amount of shares that, that are being offered, they're kind of unnaturally forcing these, you know, these pops. And when I see that happening again and again and again by the same underwriters, it starts making me say, okay, well, when we only have 2.7 share, million shares, there's people already talking about this one on Twitter. There were a lot of people talking about CPOP. Um, you know, the chance of an immediate halt seems very high. And that immediate halt I mean, it very rarely leads to a debut out of that halt that is below where you, you know, the debut price. So you're given a chance to at least say, okay, well, one halt is made 10%. And if you don't see that immediate halt, and I mean immediate, it's not like 10 or 15 seconds. It's like, bam, just open, halt. Okay, there wasn't even like a split second to make a trade. You're just still in the trade. Uh, as soon as you see it start to trade a little bit, it might still have some gas in it. But on one on these, especially if it's not a Chinese company or if it's not, uh, you know, Boasted or Network One, that's when you say, okay, we'll just hit the sell button. And that is one of the few times where a market order might be your friend. Um, stop losses too, you know, too dangerous. Uh, limit orders, yeah, maybe, but you're going to set this limit order limit so low that you might as well make it a a market order because you're really just trying to get out. Um, but the play on these low float Boasted network one is if it doesn't immediately halt, then just get out. Don't wait around and see what it does. And, you know, it's not what you thought it was. If it runs later, great. Otherwise I'm saying, look, I don't want to own a you know, movie projector company. Uh, you know, just take your money. Yeah. Take a little loss if you have to, uh, but just don't get stuck in something that, cause when they don't go this way, they go real fast the other way. And, uh, that's what you want to avoid. This is one of the one, the, the one of the, the exceptions to the don't sell on day. Don't take a loss on day one is, you know, one of these plays. 
Uh, all right, that I guess that's it for the week, right? We got two IPOs this week, and, and that's pretty much. Oh yeah, no, there was one more that got added. Uh, we covered this a while ago. It's Arnaz uh, Transcode Therapeutics. Uh, they're an oncology company. They've been rescheduled multiple times in May. Uh, they were a 2.7 million share float. Now they're 6.25 million share float. I show it. Show uh, it. There we go. Arnaz. There. Yeah. Yeah. Ar- RNA Oncology, okay. Yeah, so this was getting a bit of hype because it was such a low float play before, but at 6.25 million shares, it's no longer like ultra low. It's just kind of like a small like biotech that does something with cancer. I don't know enough about these to like play them and there's just too much, I don't know, in this one. And with when it was a 2.7, it was like, I don't know, but maybe. Um, but at 6.25 million shares, it's I don't know. And if it runs good for them. Um, I think I'm going to take a little bit of a breather after the last two weeks just being, so we had something like 30 IPOs over the last two weeks and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, need to rebalance my portfolio a little bit and do focus on some other things. <laughs> all right, all right. My, kids, Matt, my, Matt, my daughter needs some attention. A couple questions before we let you go here. Uh, sure. Do you have any thoughts on the IPO for Niantic Labs? It's from James Adams. Niantic Labs. Are we sure that's an IPO and not an uplisting or a SPAC? That's always a good question. What is the ticker? Uh, I don't know if it's uh, out yet. What? Um, let me see here. Ba, 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 ba. Hold on, I got my Benzing IPO calendar here. Uh, never mind. I don't actually see a ticker. I don't see anything. So, uh, James Adams, please clarify what if this is an IPO or a SPAC uplisting. Um, and also, um, oh yeah, that's Pokemon Go. Right. That's right. That's the company behind Pokemon Go. And that and them and Nintendo, right, are, are the ones behind. Yeah, I don't actually know if it's an IPO though. Uh, it might be a SPAC. Um, so second, I don't. I, I would like to touch on that. Okay, yeah, shoot the question. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. See what you're going to say. Okay, people asked me a lot last week about a couple, uh, they, they call them IPOs, but they're really uplistings. Yes. And I want to show you something that I've seen, a trend that I've seen yeah. on uplistings that, so uplistings are things are when something trades on, say, another country's stock exchange and then they uplist to the NASDAQ or the NYSE. And almost all the time we see a huge drop on the um, on the debut. And the reason is because on their local exchange, when they announced, oh, we're gonna uplist to the NASDAQ, everybody bought up shares and drove the price up, expecting you know them to make a bunch of money when it listed on the on the NASDAQ. So wave power, this was an interesting one, eco wave power, uh, debuted at 16. And just tanked down to about 10, 9, 10, 11 range. Now, this is actually an interesting time to pick up some shares because a lot of times this is just everybody who doesn't want it long, who bought into on the uplisting news on the foreign exchange, uh, came in here and said, okay, well, time to take my money. And as soon as it starts to dump, well, everyone else dumps. And it just bottoms out pretty quickly. Now, this one was a little bit ridiculous because what it did the next day was run up to 40 uh, in the early pre-market and then jumped again in uh, regular hours up to 30. And part of it was the free float was just 800,000 shares. And part of it was because it's this kind of interesting turns wave energy into electricity uh, play. But we've seen now with this, and I noticed it also with uh, TRMR, this was about two weeks ago. It did a sort of similar play where it debuted at 19, I believe. I remember it properly. Yeah, it debuted at 19 and dropped immediately to a bottom of 17.14. And from there, it kind of dropped even further through the day. But it's now recovered to almost 20, and it's been above 20. So for uplistings, I may be starting to develop a strategy that uh, if it drops super hard like this, take some here and, uh, or, you know, maybe even take more there. If this solid company that sounds good, uh, this was a price that they thought was fair to come to the market. It's just also where people decided that they were going to take profits right away. 
So there does seem to be a pattern of filling this gap pretty quickly, if not um, over time, to uh, to make it an interesting play to take a you know to take a bite off that initial dip and then you know try to ride that that upward trend uh, once people figure out hey actually this company is live people who are selling are gone now what's left in the room are buyers you know people who want to hold long and new buyers showing up so uh, those uplistings i don't consider them ipos but there does seem to be some opportunity because they do show up on the ipo radar sometimes anyway uh, to take some profit off that initial dip and it's a little bit like the spinoffs, like Vimeo spun off of, uh, I forget what the company was. That was, uh, that was, um, uh, oh God, it was, uh, it was, well, it, I, that was IAC, right? Interactive. IAC, right, right, right. right. Yeah. So here it, it did drop quite a bit on day one, but came back up. Um, but since then, Actually, where I thought it went, I thought it went live here and just dropped. Dropped down to 40 by the time you could actually buy it. I think this is actually not accurate data that you could buy it here. I just remember watching on the day it went live that you could actually buy it. It wasn't even available on Webull. They had messed up the ticker. Yeah. And on E-Trade, it dropped down to 40 and actually did take a little bit of a 40 to like 44 play or something there. Um, but if you did buy it down at that bottom of 40, and, you know, retrace. This wasn't an uplisting, it was a spinoff, but it's one of those, it's a little bit, it's kind of in that category of despacking or, you know, uplistings. They're all a little bit unpredictable, so I don't really like to yeah. play them, but if I see a heavy dip on something, then it's, you know, kind of a good buy low opportunity unless it's uh, some really bad news. All right, uh, we've been on with Matt Hammond for the last, like, almost hour. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, Matt normally joins us every Monday at 9 a.m. on pre-market prep to preview the week. Obviously, this week is different because we had no show Monday. So he was on Power Hour today. He always recaps the previous week in IPO land and previews the upcoming week in IPOs. And I will just say, Matt, that we did a little quick Inform One Chat challenge last week trying to pick the best performing stock. Uh, of the week and of all the submissions we got, uh, the winner had picked Donut and I came in second and I had picked LZ Legal Zoom. So it was a strong week last week on the I said C Pop. You would have said C Pop. You would have won, it turns out. Uh, all right. Uh, Matt Hammond, IPOWarriors.com. Newsletter goes out, whatever, Sunday night. Well, it goes more often than that. But the okay, so I, I send out the recap of last week's trades uh, on Sunday uh, or sometime during the weekend. And now I've switched to, I'm going to send out the recap after the show. So if you guys, or, or sorry, wow. the preview of this week after the show. Got so it. after this, if you guys sign up for the newsletter now, uh, in about an hour or two, I'll send out the preview of this week's IPOs. And... Uh, if I do see any stealth IPOs show up, sometimes they show up midweek. And that's what makes them stealthy. So if I see them, I send out a notification on Twitter. If it's just like, sometimes I'll figure it out an hour before or even just half an hour before it goes live. But usually I've got caught wind of it the night before. I can get out a news blast either that night or early in the morning. So if you want to catch those ghost uh, stealth IPOs, sign up for the newsletter. If you want to get the preview of the week coming up, sign up for the newsletter. Um, I think it's uh, been pretty helpful for a lot of people. People have been uh, donating to my whiskey fund um, when they make wins. So link, thanks, guys. Link in description, Twitter in description. Thanks a lot, Matt. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next Monday. Thanks, Matt, sir. All right. Have a good week. Okay. Uh, that was Matt Hammond. Uh, again, links all in the description. Uh, somebody asked, I saw a quick question in the chat. How do you find information on IPOs? You can go to the filing. You can go to Benzinga Pro, which has all this information in here. We have a, yeah, let me just go to, you can have an IPO calendar uh, and you can uh, search for that. Go to our news feed, search for updates. For, for example, Robinhood is H-O-O-D. Oh, we don't actually have anything on the newsfeed, but if you go to Robinhood and in the newsfeed, you can search for all the uh, headlines related to Robinhood's IPO. Or if you don't have Benzinga Pro, very simple, 
go to this link and I'll put the link in chat right now. Benzinga.com slash calendars slash IPOs is a free resource on our site with an IPO calendar, all of our IPO articles, uh, our articles related to IPOs at least. And uh, that's right there. That's free. Benzinga.com slash calendars slash IPOs. Um, and to dive deep on any one IPO, uh, there's always the S1 filing that comes out before the fact. But uh, putting that link out there. Uh, okay. It is 1.57. I did mention yesterday or just now that we did a chat challenge last week. Uh, and I want to congratulate the winner of said chat challenge. Jason W. picked Donut. That was the best performing stock, if you can believe it. It was a pretty brutal week. Uh, for the tickers that were thrown out in this chat challenge. We did it from Tuesday's close to Friday's close. And D-Nut was your winner. You're <laughs> sort of crazy when, when you look at the chart. Let's zoom out. But uh, D-Nut was the winner. Uh, a 17% increase from the from the opening price to Friday's close. And uh, congratulations, Jason W. Um, Jason, if you are watching... Email us, shows at Benzinga.com, because we didn't put any place in the form. We we, we did the so hatchet job so last minute that we didn't put any any spot in the spreadsheet for for your contact info. So Jason W., email shows at Benzinga.com. We'll hook you up with some swag. Uh, Okay, that is going to be a wrap for uh, Jason B. Were you you on there? Jason B, you were Jason B. You came in dead last, my man. You came in dead last. <laughs> Sorry, somebody had to come in last. And in this case, it was you. Um, okay, that's going to be a wrap for uh, the Power Hour today. Special two-hour edition tomorrow. Uh, we'll have the two-hour edition of Moon or Bust going from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. But right now, we have the Benzinga Crypto Show starting in like, I don't know, like 30 seconds, give or take a few seconds from now. Um, we've got a full slate of guests and a great guest on the docket, Argo Blockchain. You guys know that one? Publicly traded company. The CEO will be on the show this stream in about 15 minutes or so that's peter wall argo let me bring up the chart for you you all can see what i'm talking about a r b k f is your ticker argo blockchain ceo will be on this stream at 215 and the crypto show is starting right now so it'll redirect to that and you don't have to do anything just before you go do me a solid Drop us a like, smash the like button, hit subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. We'd appreciate that. Thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to you for watching, listening, whatever. The show is available as a podcast. And uh, please remember that all the information from our show and all of our shows meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. That's a wrap. Crypto show up now. Everyone, I'll see you, see you a little bit later.